This is Hal Hester, lead pastor of Vine Life, and this is our podcast, The Empowered Word. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective on what God is doing in your life. Please enjoy the message. This is the way. All right, and if you're wondering if I had any input into the design and the theme of this series, you are absolutely correct. There is a Star Wars theme, and any time that I get to slip in some Star Wars into anything we do here at Vine Life, I do it. <laughs> All right, so you're welcome, and I'm sorry. Um, but this week, we are going to be in John chapter 9. John chapter 9, that's where we're at. And so before you get there, if you want to open up your Bibles, you can op- open up your Bible app. Um, as you get there, I wanted to give everybody a chance to kind of get set the tone and can get this idea in your mind. Um, and I want to ask this question. You don't have to answer out loud because I'm going to tell you guys a story uh, about my experience. But is there ever a time in your life where you experienced something that would have been a bad thing? It would have been something very negative, but because of the fruit or because of what came out of it was positive, it's not so negative. It's not such a negative thing, but there's actually this positive thing that came out of a negative situation. I think we've all had experiences like that in our lives. And sometimes we look at that and we look back at it and we're like, it wasn't all bad, you know? Um, I want to tell you guys a, a short story. In my life, something that happened growing up, I was, uh, I was born and kind of raised in, in West Texas, town of El Paso, okay? And uh, you guys can all sing that song, but uh, I was born there, I was kind of raised there, it was desert, there's nothing out there for miles and miles and miles from, you know, from the town of El Paso, from the city of El Paso, there's not really a whole lot. And uh, so if you drive about two and a half hours though, three hours, there is a ski resort, Kind of weird. You go from desert to mountains and, and snow, and you know, I know not everybody can relate to that here in Florida, but I loved to go snowboarding. Me and my friends would get together, and we'd go snowboarding as much as we possibly can every winter season, okay? So we're, we pile into this car one time, and we all get into this uh, forerunner, and we, we loaded up our, our snowboards on the sides, inside the forerunner, along the sides. We, that's where we piled our, our snowboards, and we'd pile them in. We'd head up to the mountain, we snowboarded all day. We had an, a wonderful day. We came back, and we're driving back. Now, on your way back, you know, driving to El Paso to this mountain, uh, there was a two-lane highway, and it was just desert. There's nothing, no lights, no towns, no trees, nothing, just plain desert for miles and miles and miles and miles. We were in the middle of this stretch, and we're following this little pickup, and this little pickup doesn't have a tailgate, and so you can see right inside what, his, what he's carrying in his little pickup truck is a Christmas tree that he had probably stolen from the mountain, cut down illegally from the mountain, didn't have it strapped in or anything. He hits this bump, this Christmas tree comes flying out of his car. My friend who's driving at the time has no choice but to hit this Christmas tree head on. Hits this Christmas tree. We're going 75, 80 miles an hour because that's the speed limit out in Texas, okay? And so he hits this Christmas tree head on. It jumps him off the road. We're going in the dirt. He tries to get back on the road, overcorrects, and 80 miles an hour, flip, 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 flip. We have no clue how many times we flipped. Everybody lost count. So the car comes to a skid on the gravel. Driver's side down, face like on the side. Skids to a stop. After after the car stopped, we all looked at each other and we're like, everybody good? Everybody good? Yep, we're okay. No broken bones, no stitches, nothing. A little bit of blood from like flying glass and stuff, but we all climbed out of the car and we're like, that was weird. You know, kind of crazy. They, you know, we have to wait for an ambulance because we're in the middle of nowhere. We wait for ambulance. They come and actually escort us to the to the uh, hospital, to the closest hospital. One of my friends who was sitting in the back seat on the driver's side, the side that plowed along the street, we had our snowboards lined up on the side of his window. He couldn't see out the window. He had hit his head 
on the snowboard, bam, saved his life because he, he would have been ground beef, you know, like that was, it would have been bad. Because he hit his head, he had a goose egg on his head. They wanted to check him out, and they're like, hey, we're going to give you an MRI real fast just to check out, make sure everything's good. So they give him this MRI. What they find is two blood clots in his brain from a, a, an injury that he had suffered two weeks prior to when we were all playing basketball. He hit the ground and hit his head on the exact same spot. And so they found these blood clots in my friend's brain, which could have been fatal. And we look back at that moment. Nobody was hurt. Yes, we lost a car, we lost all our snowboards, we lost our gear. But my friend's life was saved that day. Kind of crazy, I look back and that was a very traumatic experience, right? Like nobody wants to go through that, that was kind of crazy. But I look back at that and, been, and that, that accident actually saved my friend's life. And I look at that situation, it was actually a good thing in disguise, in a bad thing, right? Kind of weird, I think we've all had kind of those types of situations, and so there was more at work than just this accident. And this morning as we unpack our text, I want to set this tone for, of our morning by asking this. What is the story behind your story? What is, how is God working in the midst of your life? How might God be using your current situation, whether it's good or whether it's bad or whether it's indifferent, for his glory to be displayed in your life because ultimately we have to arrive at this conclusion that either God is who he says he is or he isn't either I am who God says I am I'm loved I'm valued I am I'm created for a purpose or I'm not either God is truth or he isn't there's no in between right we're in John chapter 9 this morning in John chapter 9, um, we're going to be working through our text, and we're going to be talking about a blind man. This is a very famous story, okay? We're going to be talking about this blind man. He was born blind. He's never seen anything with his physical eyes, and he has this interaction with Christ where God reveals himself, who he is, and what he came here to do. And so we start in John 9. This is verse 1. If you have your Bibles open, you can follow along. Otherwise, we have it on the screen here. It says this in verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happened so the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. And while I am in the world... I am the light of the world. Can I just say this for a second? I'm gonna, what I do is I kind of go through the scripture and I'll read and then we'll talk about it and read and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Okay, can I just say this for a second? I'm just going to be really honest for you guys. I have always had a very hard time with this scripture right here. I have had a very tough time. I struggled with it. Because Jesus here, he passes this blind man and his disciples ask this question, who sinned, Jesus? This man, or did his parents sin? Because there was this, this idea that people's afflictions were directly connected or in correlation of their sin or their family's sin. So in the bigger picture, yeah, that, this is true because we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And so there are the effects of sin in the world. We live in a sinful, broken world. 
And so, yes, there is disease, there is cancer, there is blindness, there are birth defects. Yes, those things occur, but to think that this man's sin or his parents' sin was the direct cause of his blindness is not actually accurate. And and I'm going to be honest with you, I think it's a concept that we actually still struggle with today in the church. Yes, there are consequences to our choices, as in there's negative impacts on our lives because of negative choices that we make. But God doesn't go around cursing people with blindness or cancer or birth defects simply because he's angry with them or disappointed in them. And it, you know, like it, it's, it, it, we tend to lean this way because it gives us this control in our lives. Like I get control of my life. If I live in life good enough, then I don't have to deal with health problems, financial problems. And it produces this works-based faith in God. And that's simply just not accurate. I mean, I don't get rich because I have big faith, nor do my enemies get what they deserve because they don't have enough faith. I kind of look at the disciples here, and I look at them as kind of curious, but kind of nosy. They see this man, they have this belief that, you know, people were born blind, born with defects or have a disease or whatever because of the sin in their lives, and they're like, Jesus, who sinned? Give us the dirt on this guy. Who sinned? Was it him or his parents? Tell us. Like, we're just curious, you know, like, you you know, let us know. They call him rabbi. They call him teacher. It's important to to remember the titles that Jesus receives during this story because there's a bunch of them, and they're actually really important. Teacher, who sinned? Give us the dirt on this guy. Was it his parents? Should we have pity on him because his parents sinned and he's having to suffer the consequences of his parents? Or was it his sin? Should we just dismiss him because he's getting what he deserves? And Jesus says, neither miss this man or his parents' sin. That's not the problem here. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So that another translation, the glory of God might be displayed in him. And this is where I struggled. This is where I had a hard time. Because I, I had to ask the question, Jesus, are you saying... That this man, he suffered his entire life being an outcast in society, forced to beg on the steps of the synagogue, being labeled negatively for something that wasn't even in his control. Are you saying that that was all so that you could, you know, be glorified? Because if that's true, i got to be completely honest. This is my human nature. I would feel really used and not in a good way. I wouldn't, if I was this guy, if I was this blind guy, and I knew that everything I had suffered in my life was so that God could get glory, I'm going to be completely honest. I would feel like a tool. I mean, it's hard to view God as loving if he would afflict somebody with suffering in order to bring himself glory. No one wants to be a tool. No one wants to be used like that. And I struggled with this until I read this text a little differently because the words are, if we read the words the way they're written, you see the story isn't actually about God showing off his power. It's not about the Pharisees who we're about to read about. It's not about everybody else in the story. The story is about this blind man's reaction or his interaction with Christ and his encounter with the living God. This story is about this man's eternity. 
It's about this dude right here. So that the works of God might dis be displayed. This is the word in him. So that God's work, so that God's glory would be displayed in him. Not for everyone else, not for the Pharisees. Jesus was focusing on the inside of this man. All of the other details in this story are the byproducts of what happens when someone has a life-changing encounter with Jesus, the light of the world. Things that were once hidden darkness are exposed. What was lost is found. And what was unseen becomes perfectly in view. This is where it gets weird. Verse 6 describes this interaction with this man, starting with Jesus spitting into the dirt. Verse 6, after saying this, he spit on the ground, he made some mud with his saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Um, Jesus, that's gross. I mean, there's this blind man. I think about it this way. There's this blind guy. He's down on his luck. He's begging for the scraps, right? He's just begging on the steps, looking for food, looking to provide for himself for that day. He's just trying to keep himself alive, and Jesus walks up and spits on his eyes. And all the germaphobes are like, ew, right? All I can think about is this. This blind man has no clue where the mud came from. He has no idea that there is spit on his eyes. And I think about that, and I kind of, <laughs> he has no idea where this mud came from. All he knows is that there's somebody rubbing dirt on his eyes. And so, we know that this man's going to be healed because we know who Jesus is, but Jesus, why spit in the mud? What was the purpose of that? Why not just heal the poor guy? Like, man, he's blind. He's been blind since birth. If you wanted to heal him, why didn't you just heal him, Jesus? I mean, wouldn't that be the easiest way to heal this man's blindness is just, you're healed. Because we've seen Jesus do that before. Why didn't he just say, you're healed? But there's so much more at play. This, Jesus isn't just concerned about this man's blindness as much as he, can, he is concerned about this man's soul. Verse 7, he says, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sense. That's actually significant, but we're going to move on. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. I mean, it's a very simple command. It's a super simple command, a very simple act of obedience that actually required a lot of faith because this man is blind. He has to make it to this pool and wash his eyes off, right? And this pool of Siloam was actually very significant to the Jews um, for ritually cleansing themselves for being unclean according to the law. And Jesus uses this thing that was considered by the men, by people, to be holy by men's standards, and he kind of makes it a little bit insignificant. A simple command, this simple act of obedience, go and wash. He goes and he washes. Jesus doesn't spend a ton of time arguing about theology and giving us all this background information of why he did what he did and where he's going with all of this and the significance of everything, he simply heals the blind man by giving him a very simple command, and the blind man gives a very simple act of obedience. Now, this should have been an amazing story. 
this should have been met with a huge celebration. There is this man who could not take care of himself because he was blind from birth, and he was an outcast in society because of that, and now he can see? That is amazing. That is wonderful news. Oh, my goodness. The man has never seen the light of day. He's never seen people. He's never seen trees. He's never seen the blue sky. This man who was blind has been given this gift of sight, but this celebration is such short-lived. And it's this total Clark Kent moment, too. It's kind of weird, right? You know Clark Kent, like he would put on these glasses and he was Clark Kent, and then he would take off the glasses, and oh my gosh, it was Superman, but nobody could recognize that he was Superman if he put on these glasses, right? This blind man goes around and his neighbors, the people that have seen him begging on the steps, they don't recognize him because he has the gift of sight. He can see now, so they're like, that's not him. That just looks like him. That's not really him. You know, and I wonder if he just closed his eyes and be like, no, guys, look, it's me. It's me. Like, oh, there you are. Okay. And they begin to question him. How then were your eyes opened? And he replied, this man that they call Jesus made some mud. He put it on my eyes and he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. I don't know. Did you guys like realize that he left out the spit part? Because he didn't know. <laughs> Can you imagine this guy when he gets to heaven? I just kind of think about him, you know, meeting Jesus for the first time, like, or not, it was the second time, actually, meeting Jesus again, and he's like, Jesus, really? Spit. Really? Not cool. Right? But there's so much more to this play. There's mo so much more to this story. There's so much more at play. What the man did not omit is what he thinks of Jesus. Who is Jesus to this man? Jesus is just this man. The man that they call Jesus. I don't know him. This man they call Jesus put some mud on my eyes, and I washed, and now I can see. And so they ask him, where is this man, Jesus, that you're talking about? And he says, you know what? <laughs> I don't really know where he is. I mean, I haven't actually seen the guy yet. I don't even know what he looks like. And I think that's kind of interesting. This blind man was healed and didn't even get to see who had healed him. He just knows this man, Jesus. And this is where the drama starts. Because we've got to have drama, right? That's what has to happen. And so this miracle takes place. And to verify that it's a, in fact a miracle, they take him to the religious leaders, the Pharisees. It's kind of funny, when we hear the word Pharisees in the Bible, you know, as Christians, we've read the Bible a few times, or read these, these passages a few times, and we look at the Pharisees, and we're like, oh, boo, they're the bad guys, right? These were the religious leaders. These were the people that the, the, that the people were supposed to be looking up to. They were supposed to be looking to them as their leaders, godly leaders. We're given a little bit more information about why Jesus made mud with his spit in verse 14 this is what it says now the day on which jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a sabbath interesting did jesus make a mistake was he not supposed to do that on the sabbath like why does why is this in scripture we have to, to to answer this we actually have to look at the ten commandments let's go back it's very simple right this is a very simple story very simple command very simple obedience very simple things happening here let's go back to the ten commandments the ten commandments were given to moses on you know on the mountain on the on the tablets 
These were ten rules, ten laws that God had given the nation of Israel. And the whole purpose of these laws was to make life easier so they didn't have to deal with the consequences of their sin. It gives freedom. It feels backwards when you say it, but laws and rules are supposed to be made to give freedom. God's laws are to give us freedom. Let me, let me explain this. Freedom from the consequences of our sins. You know, like Ten Commandments, do not murder. We can kind of see there's a consequence to murder, right? Like there's this thing that if you murder somebody, it, 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 there's a problem with that. It's not good for your soul. It's not good for the society. It's not good for the culture that you live in. It's bad. And the consequences of that take away your freedom. Don't steal from people. That just brings disunity. Don't covet other people's things. That brings judgment. Like, this is, these are the consequences of these sins that these are what the Ten Laws were, were designed for. When we think about this, you know, this, this law on the Ten Commandments to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, take rest. Take a, take a moment to breathe. Don't work, 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 work. Like, rest for a second. That's healthy. That's a good thing. That brings you freedom to worship God. Take rest. But over the years, the religious experts, they decided to add to these laws, to like expand them because I couldn't understand. I can't wrap my mind around, you know, just don't work. Well, what is work? Let's define what work is. What is work? And so they had all these extra little laws, all these extra little rules about what is work and what is not work. And every little thing that people did was either considered work or not work. And so you had to like figure out, well, if I do this, is it considered work on the Sabbath? And if you got caught going outside those boundaries, you would have to repent as a sinner. And then you'd have to like either get excommunicated from the synagogue or make a sacrifice under this law, it was impossible to live. This law that was meant to produce freedom in life evolved into something that resulted into people living in fear and shame, and it created division, as we're going to see. And I just want to stop here for a second because it's easy to look back at the Pharisees and say, like, man, they're the bad guy, you know? But we still do this in church today. We still take what was meant to give freedom in people's lives, the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, the simple gospel message, and place unrealistic expectations on each other and shame each other into following these extra rules that we have set up around the gospel. And we hyper-focus on one verse or one thing, and, and, and we try to like make it, like we add these extra rules, make it impossible for people to experience the love of Christ without having to earn their place into the church or the body of Christ. And the result, church, the, the result is met with anger and frustration toward the church. The result is a lot of broken people hurting people from the church, from the body of Christ. The result is a barrier around the gospel, repelling those who don't live up to our expectations. Church, it's really important that we look at both sides of this story and we evaluate ourselves in this story to understand how easy it is to be on the wrong side of what God is doing in people's hearts. The Pharisees asked this man how he received his sight. He just states his story. 
You put mud on my eyes, the man replied. And I washed, and now I see. Very simple story. I mean, there's still no mention of the spit, right? It's a simple story. It, it's, it should be met with a celebration. It's a celebration. But this man, Jesus, he was a threat to the Pharisees and the control that they had over people's lives. And so this once blind man, he never gave Jesus any more than uh, a title of this man. That's all he did, other than what he experienced. He said, this is what I experienced. This is what happened. This is the story. This is the truth. And, and, and this is the only truth that he had. This man, they called Jesus, put mud on my eyes, sent me to the pool, I washed, I can see. This is my story. The Pharisees, knowing they needed to discredit the story, the only way they could do this was to attack the character of Jesus. This man, what you're telling us is this man, Jesus, he made mud. He made mud. Well, if we kind of deduce this, you know, kind of break this, this apart, Jesus made mud on the Sabbath. Making mud is like making clay. We use clay to make houses, and we make clay, or we use clay to make pots and things like that. Well, that's work. So he broke the Sabbath. It didn't matter how insignificant this was, this drop of spit, this drop of saliva into dirt rubbed between his fingers. It didn't matter how little mud he made. He made mud on the Sabbath. This was their claim. This is how you discredit the character of Jesus? That's a really far stretch, isn't it? Like, that's crazy. But, but okay, he, he worked on the Sabbath. How do we discredit the miracle? All right, this man is still, still this guy that he was blind, now he sees, right? How do we discredit that? How can a sinner perform miracles? How do we get people to believe that he is a sinner if he's out there performing these miracles? How do we do that? And this is where the division sets in. There's division among them. Verse 17, then they turned again to the blind man. What have you, say to, what have you, what have you to say about him? I mean, it, it was your eyes that he opened. This is what the blind man says. He says, I think he's a prophet. Somewhere in this exchange of words, somewhere in this exchange of words, this once blind man changed his view of who Jesus is. Despite the Pharisees denouncing that this man comes from God, this man actually, this blind man, or once blind man, comes to the conclusion that Jesus actually is from God. He must be a prophet. And this isn't the first time we've actually heard those words. In John chapter 4, uh, we talked about the woman in, in, at the well. Jesus was having a conversation with this woman, and what did she say? I perceive that you are a prophet. So we've come from the idea that Jesus was a man, that other people call him Jesus, to now I call him Jesus. So now he's this man that put mud on my eyes, and now we are referring to him as a prophet. Well, that's, that's, that's kind of cool. It's starting to, you know, he's starting to build something. There's something actually working in this man's heart and his mind. But the Pharisees, they still refuse to believe that this man had experienced a miracle, probably because it meant that they would have to, to give credit to Jesus. And by giving credit to Jesus, they would have to acknowledge that he was sent from God and that they would have to listen to what he was teaching and submit to what he was teaching. And so they call for the blind man's family. His parents, 
if they can't discredit the miracle itself, well, let's try to go after this man's identity. Let's try to discredit that he is who he says he is. Okay? Maybe we can prove that this guy is a fake. Okay? And so they ask his parents, are you sure that this man is the one that's your son, that he was born blind? Are you sure? I mean, how is it that he can see? And his parents, this man's parents are so afraid of the repercussions from the, 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 the Jewish leaders at the time. They're so afraid that they don't answer and they don't back up their own son. And I question the fear here because as a father, I have kids, you know, and if one of my kids were like blind from birth or they had a birth defect that I, man, that breaks my heart. That, you know, my child would have to go through life with this ailment. And, and if that ailment was suddenly healed, there would be a celebration. I would be coming up here and telling you guys all about it. Like, I can't believe this is what happened. My, my, my child was hurting. They, were, they had this ailment. They had this thing in their lives. They were going to have to spend the rest of their lives with this. And all of a sudden, they were healed. And I would be jumping and excited as a parent. Like, can you believe this happened? It would be hard to shut me up. But these people were living in such fear, the religious leaders. This is how serious the fear is. They were living in such fear that they didn't even defend their own child. This fear of breaking the law of the Sabbath, the law that was supposed to bring freedom, was used to bring fear and shame. They say, ask him yourself. And so they ask the man again. And they say it in a very interesting way. They say this to the once blind man. They say, give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know that this man is a sinner. Give, give God glory by telling the truth. Give glory to God by telling the truth. That's interesting because the purpose for this whole situation that's unraveling right now, Jesus actually said it, was so that the works of God would be displayed in this man. The glory of God would be displayed in this man. Those words were actually spoken, and then these guys say, tell the truth, give glory to God. So by telling his story, that's exactly what he's doing. He's giving glory to God. His true story, what really happened. Giving glory to God. They say this, we know this man is a sinner. We know it, and, and what is, is, that's what the Pharisees say, and, and I, I don't know if you can see this yet, this should be pretty obvious at this point, but the, the Pharisees, we started out that Jesus was a man, okay? And so the, the blind man gets healed and has these things happen to him, and he has kind of arrived at this place where, no, actually, this man, Jesus, this man they call Jesus, I think he's a prophet sent from God. But the Pharisees, they're going in the opposite direction. This man they call Jesus, he's a sinner, He's a bad person. This blind man is moving forward in his view of who Jesus is. He's coming to some truth. The Pharisees are stuck in this lie. The Pharisees are stuck in their inability to see who Jesus is. They're so stuck that they're missing God working in their midst, right in front of them in this most miraculous way. Instead, of, instead, they try to intimidate this man. They try to intimidate his family, and they try to get them to submit to themselves, give them the glory, and they ask him, are you going to like 
fight against us? Are you going to stand up against us? I mean, we're the leaders. And this is my favorite part. I love this part because this is the once blind man's answer. This is what he says. He replied in verse 25, whether he is a sinner or not, whether Jesus is a sinner or not, I don't know. I honestly don't know. But there's one thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. Can you hear the simplicity of this story? It's seven words. I was blind, and now I see. Seven words, and it makes such an, a, an amazing thing. God uses these seven words, and there's like, this is amazing. Because here's the thing, you know, I look at this, and we can kind of break this down. I was blind, this is all I know. I was blind, and now I see. I don't have all the answers you're looking for. I don't. I, I don't know much about Jesus and all the theology behind what you're looking for and all, you know, I don't know everything behind his existence and everything. I don't have some impressive story to elaborate, to impress everyone. I don't even have it all figured out right now. But what I know is what I experience with Jesus. I was blind, and now I see. Church, there is value in your story. There is value in your story, in your experience with who Jesus is in your life. What God has done in and through you has so much weight in your conversations with people, in your relationships with people, what God has done in your life. I don't think, I'll, I'll be honest with you, some of you guys might be, but I, I don't think a lot of us here would call ourselves a theologian or an expert in the Bible, you know? And, and sometimes we take that and say, my lack of knowledge about such things discredits me from talking to people and having conversations about Jesus. And that's simply not true. All this man had was a story about his encounter with Jesus. That's all he had. And God uses this in the most amazing way. There's others of us today, I'll be honest with you, and I'm going to ruffle some feathers, but there's others of us who maybe we, we do like have it all figured out, and we are ready, we study, we absorb information, absorb information, absorb information about Jesus, about the Bible, about theology, and just keep like sucking it in like as much as I can get because we want to be ready to fight and to argue if somebody tries to discredit my faith. Can I tell you something? You can have all the information in the world. You can know everything. You can have all the right answers in the world. You can know everything there is to know about Christianity, but if you don't have personal experiences with Jesus, if you don't have encounters with Christ, with Jesus Christ, with God on a regular basis, nobody wants to listen to you. All of that knowledge is useless because the Pharisees, they had all the right answers. They knew everything. They knew everything they could possibly know. And it didn't add up to much. It produced fear and division and shame in other people's lives. It was abusive. If you can't tell people what Jesus has done in your life, nobody wants to hear it. If you can't say, this is how my life has changed, this is what God has done through me and in me, like, this is, this is my heart change. I used to do this and this and this. I had addictions. I had this. I've, I walked out of that because of what God has done and what God has revealed to me. Knowledge is useless unless it is applied. Your story matters. I don't know everything about Jesus, but what I do know is that I was blind 
but now I see. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Amazing grace, right? I had no hope, but now I am saved. I had no future, but now I have a future with the one who created me. I had no purpose, but now I'm on a mission. I was a nobody, but now I'm a child of the risen King of kings and Lord of lords. That's my story. That's who I am, and that's who Jesus is to me. And that makes a difference. This conversation isn't going well. Those seven words, I was blind, but now I see. Those seven words just kind of shut the Pharisees down. And after they questioned this man again, they got the same response, this story again. And they start hurling insults at this man. Well, if we can't like discredit him, let's just make fun of him. <laughs> let's just hurt him. Let's try to attack him. Let's bully him. And they accused him of being a disciple of Jesus as if that's a bad thing, you know? You're this fellow's disciple, they said. We're the disciples of Moses. Because, you know, Moses was the holy one, right? We know God spoke to Moses, but for this fellow, we don't even know where he came from. In their arrogance, they attempt to discredit Jesus' reputation by hinting that he's probably some illegitimate son of somebody, you know? And this blind man responds, Kind of interesting the way he responds because he doesn't have all the information. He doesn't have all of this theology, you know, that he has to, you know, pull up from somewhere. But he says, I'm going to apply some logic here, guys. Here's my answer to that. You don't know where he comes from. That's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. A miracle happened. In verse 31, he says, we know that God does not listen to sinners, he listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. He was a first. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Wow, this man has gone from this realization that Jesus is a man that they call Jesus, right? He, he arrives at the fact that he must be a prophet. He must be sent from God. This is where he's at. He, he comes to this, this realization that this man is a prophet sent from God. We're almost there. He's getting there. This is all happening in one conversation. And this man is just like starting like, whoa, what's happening? This man is having a transformation right in front of everybody. Like a total mind and heart transformation. And the Pharisees, they can't even argue with this logic. And so they discredit this man and they throw him back to the identity that he was at the beginning. They say, you're just a sinner. You've always been a sinner and you sinned and that's why you were blind. I don't know if you've ever been in this situation where maybe you did struggle with something. There was something in your life that you're like, you know what? I struggled with this addiction or I struggled with this in my life and I couldn't get out of it. And God changed something in my heart. God changed something in my life and I'm different. And somebody comes along and says, no, no, you, you, you were that and you always will be that. You'll always be. Your identity is that addiction. Your identity is that ailment. Your identity is this, what you used to be. And they try to throw that identity back on this man. But that's not the same blind man begging on the steps of the synagogue. His eyes have been opened, and for the first time, he is seeing the truth. His identity has been changed on the outside, and we're watching his identity change on the inside. Jesus heard, verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when, they, when he found him, I just want to stop right there because this, I love this, I love this, because just one word, when he found him, which implies that Jesus was looking for this man. Jesus was seeking out this blind man, this once blind man. Jesus sought him out because ultimately 
This wasn't about the physical blindness. It wasn't about picking a fight with the Pharisees. That's not what this is about. This was a matter of this man's heart. This whole story happened for this man. That makes me feel good about what Christ, how much Christ loves us. He said, Jesus said this, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one who is speaking with you. The guy you're talking with right now, the man who healed you, the one that you didn't get, even get to see yet, the very reason you can see me right now, that's me. I'm Jesus. I'm the son of man. I'm the son of God. And verse 38, then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. We have been on this journey with this man that this morning that as he comes to this place of understanding Jesus as a man to Jesus, it must be a prophet sent by God to now he comes to this idea, this idea that Jesus is Lord and Savior, that he is the Son of God. Jesus wasn't just opening up his physical eyes, he was opening up his spiritual eyes. The response to who Jesus is was to worship. Verse 38, I believe, and then he worshiped. This man's realization to understanding who God is and who God says he is and the true identity of this man is found in Christ brings him to this place of worshiping Christ. And I want to revisit that verse that I told you at the beginning that was a struggle for me. Why was this man blind? Why was he born with this defect? It happened so the works of God might be displayed in him, in his heart. The whole event happened in order that this man would know Christ. His being blind since birth could be viewed as this horrible thing, and for a lot of people that is still the case, right? It, but this man's blindness actually becomes his salvation, this story wouldn't have played out in this man's, any different, in man's life any differently if, if, uh, if, if, for, if, this, if, if it wasn't for him being blind and begging on the steps of the synagogue. This, might, this man might have never come to the conclusion that Jesus is who he says he is if anything were different. Do I believe that God struck this man blind so that he could, he could have a cool story to write about, you know, that somebody would write about in the Bible? I don't believe that. I do believe that God uses our situations in our lives, the good, the bad, to reveal himself to us. And that is our response to those situations. Our response is the important factor in whether God reveals his glory in us or not. No, God didn't give you cancer. No, God didn't make you get sick. He didn't cause the love, the, the death of your loved one. That's the fallout of us living in a broken and sinful world. But God does give us the opportunity to respond to him, revealing himself to us in the midst of those moments, in the midst of those situations. Is it to declare God who he is and worship him? Or is it to discredit his character, curse him and throw him out? Verse 39, for the judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. And some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, 
you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. The blind, this is the ones who are seeking God, who don't have all the answers, who, you know, have this experience with God. And they're like, I want to know more. They're seeking this. You know, they're the ones that God is like, yeah, I'm going to show you. I'm going to reveal myself to you. But those who claim to, you know, they're so caught up in their own thirst for power and recognition and their own glory, their, their own way of doing things, they're going to miss it. They're going to miss what God is doing. And the Pharisees ask this question, are we blind too? Well, you know, from reading this story, I think the obvious answer to that question is yes. You missed God doing something amazing. You refuse to acknowledge that it even happened. You not only missed a blind man being healed, which was a miracle, but you missed a lost soul being found. Maybe the better question is, were we born blind? Yes, we are all born blind. And throughout our lives, God uses moments to reveal himself, to open himself, to open our eyes, to see him. And there are two perspectives that we can see to Jesus revealing himself in this situation this morning of the blind man being healed. First is the Pharisees, the teachers of law, the people that, the, the, that we're supposed to look up to. That's, they were the ones that had all the answers. Like, man, you know, like, how do I worship God? They should have had the answer for that. Is Jesus the Son of God? They should have had the answer for that. But they refuse to acknowledge the truth because the truth removes their authority. It removes their comfort. It removes what they have been spent their entire lives working for. And it brings humility. And they would rather hold on to what they have than allow God to move. They didn't see the value in what God was doing. Their comfort, their authority, their position was more important than anything else. Their value was based on themselves and what they could accomplish, not in what God could do. They had it all figured out. For the man formerly known as the blind man, completely different story. By simply sharing his story of his encounter with Christ, he arrives at this truth. He allowed his eyes to be opened physically and spiritually because he's actually seeking truth. <laughs> I was blind, and now I see, and I want to know why. All he knew at the very start of the story was I was blind, and all of a sudden I could see. And that's all he needed to know, that Jesus was worthy of his worship. And I think if you were to ask this man, I'll be honest with you, if you were to ask this man, would you do it all over again? Being blind from birth, being an outcast, having to kind of suffer through that in life, all his life, the spit on your eyes, would you do it all over again? Knowing what he knows now in heaven? <laughs> yes. A thousand times, yes. Church, it comes down to this. What is your response to what happens in your life? Is it to give God glory when the good happens? Or is it take to, to take the glory for yourself? Is it to curse God when the bad happens? Or is it to submit to God's authority and allow his glory to be displayed in you? What is your response to life? As we wrap up this morning, 
I want to take three things. I just want to say three, th- three things that you could take home with you today before we leave this story that I think we need to kind of like evaluate in our lives. Number one is this. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord. We need to remain humble before the Lord. We don't have it all figured out. There's a lot for us to learn. And God is doing things all the time. There are new things that God is doing. He's working in people's lives and he's doing new things all of the time. God's ways are higher than our ways. Humble ourselves to his authority. Submit to his authority in our lives. That means, you know what? Bad things are going to happen. That's life, you know? We live in a sinful world. Like, bad things are going to happen, but we need to submit and humble ourselves before the Lord in the good and in the bad. Acknowledge who he is. Acknowledge who he has called you to be. Number two is this. We respond to God and who he is in worship. If God is who he says he is, then my next thing to do is to worship God. That means when we gather together, you know, it's not just the singing on Sunday morning. Yes, that is part of our worship, but when we gather together, we worship God together. We sing loud the praises of God, our creator, our king. When we go out and live our lives, our lives are worship to God. It should reflect Christ to those around us, our response to who God is. In my decisions, in my finances, in my family, in my life, in my future, in my plans, is to worship. Number three is this. Share your story boldly, unapologetically, truthfully. What has God done in your life? How has he changed you? How has he opened your eyes? What has he opened your eyes to? Who is Jesus to you? It doesn't matter if you have it all figured out, if you know so much about the Bible or not a whole lot. Share your story. It's so important. I want to invite us into just a time just responding to what we uh, read about today and what we studied about today. And so I'm going to turn the lights down. I want to invite you guys, let's evaluate our hearts, because there was two perspectives, right? There's two things that happened. There's two things that happened in our story today, and the number one was the Pharisees. The Pharisees, these religious experts, the ones who shut their hearts off to what God was doing. I think in our lives, God wants to open our eyes. He wants to to take the blindness away, take the blinders away of the things that he's doing in your life. And as we submit to him, as we submit to his authority in our lives, we get an opportunity to see God move. And here's the fruit, okay? The Pharisees, the fruit was fear and shame, division. That was the fruit of what they did in response to Jesus saying who he was. But the fruit, when we acknowledge who God is in our lives and we share that story with people and God displays himself to us, displays his glory in us, the fruit is that other people see. That things that were hidden in darkness are going to be exposed. 
things that, were, that nobody knew about, things that maybe you didn't know, like God's going to reveal those things and, and God's glory is going to be in full view. When we are obedient to what God is doing, when we are humbled to what God is doing, when we submit to his authority in our lives, that means if bad things are happening in our lives right now, let's submit to God's authority and let's see what he does. And he's going to reveal himself to you but through you, he's going to reveal himself to the people around you. This story, this story is, is forever in scripture. This man's story, because he was obedient, like, we get to talk about that. We get to say, like, look what God did in this man. And it brings God glory. Even though it was for this man, God gets glory. When we submit ourselves, we submit our lives to God's authority. It brings God, God glory to those around us. Your friends, your neighbors, your family might even, not even recognize you. Because God has opened your eyes. We're going to invite, I want to invite the prayer teams up in just a second after we close, and if you, if this is something that, man, God is just speaking to you, God has put this on your heart and pressed this on your heart, and you want to respond, and maybe you've kind of closed off to what God has been doing, maybe you're kind of cold to that, and you're like, man, I don't see God moving. I don't see what God is doing, and maybe that's, maybe it's like, there's a hardness there, like, I don't want to move forward in that, and I, I think that God might be dealing with that in our lives this morning. Please come and get prayer. I think that if we, you want your eyes open to what God is doing, come and get prayer. Let's, let's walk through that. Let's get to the other side of that. Let's let God's glory be displayed in your life. Let God reveal himself to you today. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for all that you are doing in our lives, in our church. We thank you for this story. God, I thank you that you love us so much that you are willing to, like, man, you're willing to do anything. There is nothing that separates us from your love, your grace, and your mercy, and you showed that here in this story. You show that in our lives every single day. You pursue us. God, I thank you. I praise you. We honor you. We acknowledge who you are. Jesus Christ, Son of God, King of kings, Lord of lords, Savior of the world, our Father, our loving King. We acknowledge who you are, and our response is to worship you in spirit and in truth. We worship you. Let our lives reflect your glory. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I hope you enjoyed our podcast today. If you did, there's two things you could do for me. First, subscribe to our channel. That way, the most recent podcast will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And secondly, if this ministry has impacted you, would you help us to continue to reach others by clicking on the link in the description to give now. Until next time, thank you so much for listening to The Empowered Word.